Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke 21. Luke 21. I actually selected this passage of Scripture and the sermon that goes along with it uh, because of what we will be doing uh, in our coming study in Revelation. And uh, it all kind of fits together, and we'll probably even use some of these or look at some of these verses. Today's sermon is entitled, Signs and Certainties, Signs and Certainties. Let's read through our, our focal passages together. Luke 21, 25 through 28. 25 through 28. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with, for, and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to gather together to hear this sermon that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, I just pray today that we are ready for your second coming as we see the signs, but we also see your promises. Bless the reading of your word. In your precious name I pray. Amen. We live in a kind of a scary time. Would you agree with that? I look at things going on and see a lot of prophecy being fulfilled, but yet as we spoke about oh, Wednesday night and some other Wednesday nights ago, prophecy has been being fulfilled for years. But I just seem to think that we're seeing more and more things happen that the Scriptures directly speak about. People are worried about terrorism. People are worried about the weather. People are worried about natural disasters. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about the government. They're worried about escalating prices. Have you seen what gas has done lately? I thought we were over that. These are people who are afraid I didn't word that like I wanted to. There are many people that are afraid to go outside of their homes after dark. Matter of fact, I told some of the folks Wednesday night, your pastor is not one of the brightest guys that ever walked, that's for sure. You know, I came home the other night when we had an active shooter going on. I didn't know that. And I walk outside and I hear his voice, Dennis, Dennis. And I'm hearing things or Wanda's yelling at me or something. 
So I keep on doing what I'm doing in the back of the car, getting stuff out of the back of the car. And I go, Dennis. Well, that's not a woman's voice. So I turn. There's my neighbor standing out there. He goes, you know, there's an active shooter going on down the street. And I said, nope. So he goes on back of the house, and I do what I think is the best thing to do. I grab one of the dogs, and I head down that way. Okay, I've got my scanner on my telephone on. Yeah, I can. I have a telephone. That big. Yeah, that's good. Cell phone going on. So I'm kind of hearing what the police are saying, and then I hear they're looking for somebody in shorts and a t-shirt. Well, guess what I'm wearing? Shorts and a t-shirt. And okay. So I get down to the end of the street, and I say, you know, probably this may not be the smartest thing to do. So I head on back home. But I know people that are scared to go outside of their house because of all the stuff that's going around. Matter of fact, just again, Friday, another active shooter on a school campus. Friends, I'm not going to turn this into something political, but I'm telling you, it is scary times out there. You can't go into any public building without being checked for weapons anymore. Can't go in the courthouse, that's for sure. Can't go in the Ford Stadium. You have to take off your shoes before you fly. That's really bad when you get behind somebody that has really stinky feet. I was kind of hoping Gloria would be here today. I'd say something to her about that because she tells me about people do have stinky feet. Oh, I didn't even see you pop in there. <laughs> Tell us about people who you know have stinky feet, because you've told me about this before. Oh, you don't have to look at somebody. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. There's shootings on the freeways. There's all kinds of things going on. We can say that the powers of heaven are being shaken today. Well, that doesn't mean God's not in control, but it just means things are happening. Things are happening that we've not seen before. Paul spoke vividly of the morals of our day. Now, I'm not going to have this on the board because I put way too many scriptures for Lindsay to put in, so you're just going to have to look them up. So get your Bible. Get your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. Now, I'm going to read this out of the Common English Bible. I think it's a better translation uh, for this set of verses. But 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and, it's, and it says... Understand that the last days will be dangerous times. People will be selfish and love money. They will be the kind of people who brag and who are proud. They will slander others and they will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful, unholy, unloving, contrary, and critical. They will be without self-control and brutal. And they won't love what is good. They will be people who are disloyal, reckless, and conceited. They will love pleasure instead of loving God. They will look like they are religious, but deny God's 
power. Avoid people like this. Does that not sound like a page from today's playbook? Does that not sound like what today, what's going on today? Most of the things we as American a few years ago thought that would always remain the same, all of a sudden we realize that we can't depend on any of these things. We live in radically changing times. We need today, what we need today is some things that we really can count on. So I'm going to share with you some things, six different things that I believe that we can count on. Now I'm going to tell you there are many more. But I'm sure that you want to get out of here at some decent time today. So I came up with what I think is the six most pressing that we can really count on. And these points are going to be a little, they're not just short points, okay? So let's look at the very first thing that we can count on. God's nature is unchangeable. God's nature is unchangeable. If you'd like, turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 2. Psalm 90, verse 2. And it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is unchangeable in His purpose and it is to bring all things under the control or authority of His Son. Look at uh, Colossians 1, 15-20. Colossians 1, 15-20. You'll know this verse. Are these verses? At least I hope you do. It says, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was, well, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Preeminent. What does preeminent mean? Verse 18. It means to be the first. Sometimes we get tangled up in some of those words. Grudem writes in, uh, in Systematic Theology, the doctrine of unchangeableness is vitally important. 
He goes on to write, if God is not unchanging, then the whole basis of our faith begins to fall apart and our understanding of the universe begins to unravel. This is because our faith and hope and knowledge all ultimately depend on the person who is infinitely worthy of trust because he is absolutely and eternally unchanging in his being. Perfections purposes, and promises. It went on to list some examples, and I'm not going to go through all those things, but if God was not trustworthy, and let's say something that he said earlier could be changed, then it would have been a lie. Or if something needed to be changed, then again, it's a lie. Our whole faith is based upon the unchangeableness of God. God never changes. Oh, we try to change Him, but God never changes. The second point is death will still be inescapable. Death will still be inescapable. Hebrews 9.27, again, a very familiar verse says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Benjamin Franklin once said that there are only two things certain in life, death and taxes. You've all heard that. However, I believe that there is a third thing, and that will be judgment. But I also know that there is an escape clause for the child of God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, I'm sorry, 51 through 53. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. And it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall, be all, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. We will be changed into a vessel that can handle the glories of heaven and Christ. As a Christian, death is not to be feared, but it is to be gloriously anticipated. If I go back to that word judgment, people fear that word judgment. For a Christian, we don't, have to, we don't have to be in fear of the judge because we've already sealed our fate by asking Christ to forgive us of our sins. But there is going to be a time when we die that our soul will immediately go up to heaven and there's going to be God the judge there and He's going to say, enter in my haven of rest if you're a Christian. But if you're not a Christian... Yeah, it's going to be a very scary time. 
So don't fear that word judgment, you are Christians. But if you're sitting in these pews today and you do not know Christ as your Savior and you walk out that door today and you fall down and hit your head on one of those gravestones, please don't do that. But you hit your head on one of them gravestones and you go on to your maker, there will be a judgment time for you. Now I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment. That's for the second coming. I get that. But I'm talking, when you die, there's going to be an immediate judgment. And all that judgment does is decide which way you're going. Are you ready for that? Point number three is the plan of God will still be written permanently. In stone, if you will. I thought about putting that down. According to Larry Jacobs, he writes these things down. Salvation will still be by grace. Amen. Repentance and faith will still be, a, will still be necessary for salvation. Conforming us to the image of His Son will still be the work of the Holy Spirit. Bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ will still be our primary purpose in life. Baptism will still be the first act of obedience. The church will still be the bride of Christ. Thank God. Trusting and obeying the word of God will still be the way to living a faithful life. As I was reading through those things and putting typing them down on this today, I got to wondering, how many of those things are Christians still honoring? Are we still living a, a life that honors Christ? Or is there any difference between our lives and the unsaved person next to us? Let's look at the next point, number four. The Bible will still be God's truth, unquestionably. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, refined in a furnace, on the ground, purified seven times. The word of God is pure, without any in perfection. I don't care how many of our these new theologians, I use that word very loosely, disagree with the Word of God and try to say, well, that's not what he was saying. You know what? Yes, it is. The Word of God does not change. People change. And once again, just like they try to get God to conform to their own ways, they try to get the Word of God to conform to their own ways. There is, and I haven't really had much of a chance because I just found out about this Friday night, but there is some controversy going on even in our own convention uh, which will spill out on the floor uh, coming up at our national convention. Now, I'm not exactly sure what it is, 
But I've heard rumors and rumblings from pastors that I know that we are starting to deal with the same things that some of our more liberal denominations have been dealing with. Friends, I don't know about you, but I would drop out of this convention before I allow our church to deal with some of the things that the more liberal denominations are dealing with. That is not what Baptists believe, especially Southern Baptists. Now, you may disagree with that. That's fine. But I'm not going to rewrite the Scriptures to keep up with the times. Not going to do it. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Or again, Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The word cannot change. No matter how much we want it to fit our own specific lifestyle, the word cannot change change. Let's look at point five. Sin will still be the most destructive force on earth. you believe that today? That sin is the most destructive force on earth? You want to know why all these bad things are happening? It's because of sin. It's because of a fallen nature of man. That's why these things, bad things happen. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap also. That will he also reap. Sorry. For the one, excuse me, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. From the Bible Knowledge Commentary, I, I copied this. Each sower decides what his harvest will be. If a person sows to please his sinful nature, that is, if he sins, if he spends his money to indulge the flesh, he will reap a harvest that will fade into oblivion. On the other hand, if he uses his funds to support the Lord's work or sows to please the Spirit and promotes his own spiritual growth, he will reap a harvest that will last forever. Friends, what are you planning today? Because what you're planning today is what you will harvest tomorrow. The sixth point here says, and I know this is long, but it says the second coming of Christ will still be the inevitable conclusion of this age. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 37 through 39. And it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, 
I'm sorry, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their, and preserve their souls. Friends, we are to live and evangelize with a sense of urgency. Look at the next to the last verse in the Bible. Revelation 22.20 The next to the last, the last prophecy that Christ puts in the Bible. 22.20 And it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Not only are you prepared for when the Lord returns, but how about those folks that you say you love? Have you presented the gospel to them? Have you said anything that will lead them to accept Christ as their personal Savior so they don't get left behind? Lastly, the church will still be the means God uses to share the gospel. This follows right along with what I was just saying. The church means you and I. Not this building, but the folks that make up the church. You and I. Of course, Christ tells us in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to, and to the ends of the earth. It's our job to spread the gospel. It's our job to tell our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers about a second coming. About eternal death. And also about the love of Christ. It's our job. I want to conclude with just a simple statement. And we do live in a radically changing time. And many things are uncertain in life. However, there are signs to warn and remains certainties in God and Christ. His word and His promises my challenge for you today is to grasp on to the promises today. Grasp on to what God has promised you. And share that. Share that with somebody. Don't just hoard it all for yourself inside these four walls. Share it. The gospel was never intended to be 
put in a box. It was intended to be shared. Hold on to the promises. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for this word that you've laid upon my heart. Lord, today, if there's someone in our midst that needs to make a decision for you, may they do so today. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing together.